You are listening to Hoisting the Sail, a supply chain podcast. From our studio at the Brooklyn Navy Yard overlooking New York Harbor, we talk to the innovators and professionals who use the wind to power the maritime supply chain. I'm your host, Kat Bride. Hoisting the Sail is presented by Windsupport NYC. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Thomas Risky, a founding partner and CEO of Norse Power. Norse Power was founded in Finland in 2012 and specializes in building and installing Flettner rotors to large shipping vessels. A company's slogan is, bringing sailing back to shipping. Thomas joins us on the line all the way from Helsinki. Thomas, thank you for being our guest and welcome to the show. Good morning and thank you for the invitation. Thomas, tell us about your career path. What brought you to Norse Power? I'm a Finnish businessman. Uh, I have grown up in, in Helsinki area, the capital of Finland, and I have uh, studied uh, in two Finnish universities, economics and, and physics. And I, I want to run businesses which enable lowering the global carbon emissions. And back in 2012, I was looking for a feasible business concept which would have a big impact on, glo- on global carbon emissions. And I happened to meet a famous Finnish old naval architect, Mr. Kaile Vander, who had idea of modernizing a mechanical modern sail, which would be installed on board ships in order to reduce the fuel consumption and emissions. And that's how Norse Power became launched. Did you have prior experience in the shipping industry? I had no previous experience of shipping industry when Norse Power was founded, uh, but I'm a, a competitive sailor. I'm, for example, former Finnish champion in offshore sailing, so I had some understanding how, how sails work. And I was confident that because in the old times ships were only moved by sails, it should be feasible to make a modern hybrid ship so that a large part of propulsion power would be replaced by mechanical sails in order to reduce the fuel consumption and emissions. And uh, I have studied physics and, and engineering at, at Helsinki University of Technology, so I was confident that, that we can make a modern mechanical sail enabling this. Ah, that is very fortunate, being able to mix both passions into your professional life. That's absolutely correct. I, I uh, combined my passion into sailing, my businessmanship, and, and my strive to look for business concepts which enable reducing the global emissions. Thomas, for our listeners who may not be as familiar, please explain the technology of the Flettner rotor. What is it and how does it work? Okay, it's my, my pleasure. So uh, our mechanical sail is called a rotor sail. It's actually a large vertical cylinder which is fitted on the deck of the ship. And when the ship is moving and the wind condition is favorable, we rotate this cylinder around its main axis with internal electric motor. So we spend a small amount of electricity to rotate the cylinder. And when the cylinder rotates, it rotates a thin layer of air around together with the rotating cylinder. And when this rotating air is interacting with the ocean wind, which is flowing through the cylinder, it's generating a pressure difference between the sides of the cylinder. And this is known as a flattener rotor. We call, call it as a rotor sail. It's the most efficient mechanical sail in the world. 
when you compare this with traditional sailing boat square sails, we can generate 10 times more thrust force per um, area of, of, of sail. So it's a very efficient sail. And, and, and when we rotate our sail on a windy sea and when the ship is moving, we generate, generate the thrust force. We start pushing the ship forward through the internal structure of our rotor sail. This means that we reduce the main engine load, we reduce the fuel consumption and all related emissions. And typically, on annual basis, we can reduce the fuel consumption between 5 and 20 percent. Of course, depending on how many rotor cells we can fit on board and how large they are. What do they look like? How large are they? And how many can fit on a vessel? Uh, today, North Power's smallest rotor sail is 18 meters tall and 3 meters in diameter. And our largest model, it's 35 meters tall and 5 meters in diameter. And if there's a small ship to be fitted with rotor sails, we might use just one small rotor sail. But on the largest tanker ships of the world, uh, we could uh, target fitting even up to six species of our 35-meter rotor sails. Is the only use for Flettner rotors on retrofitted ships, or can they be integrated into new construction? We have today done five ships which have been fitted with our rotor sails, and all of this has been have been kind of retrofit installations, meaning that we have fitted an existing ship with our rotor sail. We are today quite soon completing our, our first new build delivery so that the brand new ship has been fitted with rotor sails on the shipyard who has built the ship. So both of these are possible. Uh, we can make nice savings in fuel co- costs and, and emissions on board existing ships, but if we want to optimize fully the ship with rotor sails, it's, it's always better to have a new built ship. But as said, both options are available. Of the five ships that Norse Power has retrofitted with Flettner rotors, how many are currently sailing? All of the five ships which we have fitted with rotor sails are still sailing with them. Our oldest unit was already installed back in 2014. So we have soon seven years of operational experience with our oldest rotor sail with very high availability figures and, and nice savings. I'd like to know more details on the ships. Where do they sail and what do they carry? The oldest ship or the first one which was fitted with North Power rotor sails is called Estraden. It's a Roro ship sailing on the North Sea. Typical route is between the UK and the Netherlands. And we have retrofitted this ship with two pieces of our smallest 18 meter rotor sails. And North Sea is typically quite windy. According to external independent analysis, the ship has reduced its average fuel consumption around 6% with our two rotor sails. This is meaning about 400 tons, 400,000 kilos of of fuel uh, consumption reduction on annual basis. Have you been able to make a direct correlation in the reduction of emissions and a lower fuel cost? Uh, that's absolutely correct. So uh, our technology is reducing the fuel consumption and cutting down the fuel bill. 
In ad addition, we are cutting down the carbon dioxide and other emissions of the ship. Uh, it's expected that there will be actually quite soon some kind of carbon tax or uh, carbon emissions trading within shipping. So I expect that quite soon shipping companies will actually start also earning money because they are able to reduce their carbon emissions with rotor sales. And regarding the installation process, what is it like and how long does it take? In order to fit a rotor sail on board an existing ship, uh, we need to start by uh, welding a rotor sail foundation on the deck of the ship. And we have done this already for five different ships. And we have always done it so that aside of ordinary yearly or uh, bi-yearly bi docking of the, of the ship, um, aside of that ordinary docking, that foundation which has been pre-manufactured is welded on the deck of the ship. In addition, we have to pull some, some cables to get uh, electricity for the rotor sails and, and to enable automation connections to the, to the rotor sail. And we have to install a control panel on the bridge of the, of the ship. Typically, we do all these things uh, aside of ordinary docking to prepare for the retrofit. Now, we can also install the rotor sail on board the ship during that same docking, or we can do that rotor sail fitting uh, during a, an ordinary port call. A typical docking is, is lasting for a ship uh, in minimum two weeks, and we can all, always do these preparations during this minimum two-week period. Our fastest rotor sail installation on board a ship after the fitting of these foundations has taken only eight hours. So as said, that can even be done during an ordinary port call. From the ship owner's perspective, tell us about the financial return. How long can a ship owner expect to recoup the cost of retrofitting? With today's typical fuel prices and typical savings for the rotor sales, the range of payback periods is about between three and nine years. A typical lifespan of a ship is minimum 20 years, so I consider that already as a pretty nice payback. I actually see that forthcoming uh, environmental regulations and also possible carbon taxes and carbon emissions trading of shipping should lower those paybacks further. We are also increasing the, the volumes of our deliveries, so we are also likely to be able to reduce the paybacks through reduced pricing of the rotor sales. Where do you stand on a carbon tax? Uh, current expectation is that first area to implement the emissions trading or carbon tax within shipping uh, will be the European Union. And they have decided that system like this will be implemented, but also the IMO organization of, of uh, United Nations has plans of, of, of similar arrangements. So my personal expectation is that the emissions trading of of carbon within shipping will be started from the European Union, and after that it, it will become global through the IMO. The IMO's 2030 and 2050 goals are ambitious. Do you think the goals are meetable? And do you think liquid natural gas is a viable solution to achieve these goals? Or is it one of many? LNG or liquefied natural gas, uh, it's also a fossil fuel, so that's also causing carbon emissions. But uh, my understanding is that uh, when you compare LNG with typical fuel oils, you, you, you cause less carbon emissions, maybe 20% less or something like that. So uh, 
shifting the, the fuel to LNG will not alone enable reaching the, uh, the IMO targets. Uh, but some kind of fuels will always be needed within shipping. Distances with ship travel are so long that, that they always need some fuel on board. I, I think that the future of shipping is that there will be some kind of non-fossil fuels. It can be, for example, a non-fossil based hydrogen, which is used as a fuel. But it's evident that these kind of non-fossil fuels will be so expensive that the only valid starting point for shipping to start using that kind of fuel is that they minimize the requirement for the fuel. And, and one of the best ways to reduce the, the fuel consumption is to fit mechanical sails on board. Uh, wind is uh, widely available on the seas and it's, it's a free energy and efficient way to, to reduce the, the fuel consumption and all emissions. We're on the same page. Our goal with this podcast is to showcase professionals utilizing wind propulsion. Our audience is curious as to why a rotor sail like yours is now more commonplace. You tell us five ships are equipped right now, but we know that there are roughly 60,000 shipping vessels operating out there today. What's it going to take to convert the rest of them? There are about 30,000 ships in the world which could be in long term fitted with rotor sails to reduce their fuel consumption and emissions between 5 and 20 percent. Uh, I think that North Power has done pretty well as a company to get already five ships fitted with our rotor sails since the company was founded. Now, it simply takes time to prove to this kind of conservative shipping industry that your mechanical sales are uh, proven, reliable, robust and easy to be used. And this is what we have done already. In addition, we have demonstrated that there's a nice business case for these mechanical sales and that the payback periods are typically between three and nine years with today's prices. With increasing environmental regulations of shipping and increasing need to reduce the carbon emissions, I'm confident that mechanical sales like rotor sales will start spreading quite fast to the global shipping fleet. In your business plan, have you made projections for the number of ships that can be equipped with rotor sales by 2025? Our uh, target is to fit uh, up to 200 ships with rotor sales by 2025. That's our, our target year currently. Given all you've told us on this topic, what, in your opinion, could be the breakthrough for wind propulsion to become more widespread? I think that the only way to reduce the amount of emissions or any pollution in the world is to make uh, polluting or <laughs> producing emissions more expensive. And in, in shipping, more expensive emissions can occur even through rising fuel prices, or some uh, environmental regulation like emissions trading of, of shipping. And my current expectation is that perhaps the fuel, fuels will not get so much more expensive, at least the fossil fuels, but the emissions trading will enter shipping and that will change the game. Let me ask you about the California Emission Standard Regulations. What are they? Do you know the rules? And if you would, please explain to our audience what this is all about. 
Yes, uh, the Californian uh, carbon scheme is called uh, LCFS, or I think it's low carbon fuel standard. The, the idea with that one uh, is that if you can reduce the, the carbon intensity of fuels imported to California, uh, you can gain kind of carbon credits, which are worth, worth money. And it's... Um, highly feasible that using mechanical sales uh, will enable you, you to get these LCFS credits uh, within some time period from today. So that's one of the uh, examples how adoption of mechanical sales can be accelerated through regulation. There still is quite a gap to reach the IMO targets then, correct? Uh, that's correct that there are gaps, but on the other hand, uh, those IMO targets of reducing the carbon emissions of shipping uh, with 30 or with 50 percent, they will enter into force. So the, the market is changing and, and that will happen pretty fast and it will be global change. Are you saying the industry is in a wait and see mode? Typical Ship owners, I have to say, are in, in kind of uh, wait and see what happens mode. <laughs> and when, when something really happens, then they are always in a, in a hurry to, to implement changes. And that's also my, my expectation. Only, only when these uh, emission reduction targets are pre- pretty close and ship owners have to act to comply, then that will, will start happening with the fast pace. Thomas, what is the next big project for Norse Power? Are you planning to stay focused on Europe? Today, our customers are uh, mostly European shipping companies, but we we see that uh, they will start fitting a lot more ships with rotor sales in Asia. And we also see a growing market and interest towards rotor sales within Asian ship owners. Uh, to comply with this increasing Asian demand, we have last year uh, established a subsidiary in China, and, and we are actually right now starting to ramp up our production of rotor sales in China to serve the, the Asian market. How long does it take to build the rotors? Today, a typical delivery time of a rotor sale is between uh, 6 and 12 months. But when our volumes are increased, we should be able to deliver any type of router sale within six months from order. Regarding pricing, though, what is the commercial approach? We are today able to sell our router sales with fixed prices or we are able to offer them based on long-term leasing agreement with fixed uh, yearly uh, payments. Our prices are, are pretty fixed, of course, negotiable depending on the, on the volume of routers delivered to the end customer. And, and what I can see that, of course, it's quite natural that the best payback periods for router sales today are on the large oceans, which are most, most windy. Uh, the most favorable shipping routes for uh, wind propulsion in the world are Northern Atlantic Crossing and and Northern Pacific Crossing. Okay, so the routes we're really talking about here are the North Atlantic and the North Pacific. Has Norse Power produced any reports or a white paper that ship owners can consult to understand the savings from using rotor sales? Typically, 
when we uh, propose our router sales to an end customer, uh, we make a full simulation of their expected savings and business case. It means that we combine the properties of the ship, we plan a router sale configuration, and, and we run simulations where we use the actual long-term wind statistics from the route of the ship. So we can today already simulate pretty well the expected long-term average savings with certain rotor cell configuration on board a certain ship with certain route. For our listeners, utilizing the wind on a vessel crossing the Atlantic is a no-brainer. In your opinion, should this become a mandatory feature of a vessel? Do you think there should be a regulation making it mandatory? I have studied actually economics, and as an economist, I think that uh, all carbon reduction investments in the world should be made so that investments which have the biggest carbon dioxide reductions per euro invested are made. So I I also, based on this, like the idea that IMO is actually not deciding which technology should be selected. They just define uh, how much shipping companies should reduce the emissions. But when I look at uh, technologies available to reduce the, the emissions of especially existing ships, I can clearly see that mechanical sails have the biggest emissions reduction potential. So I expect that when the environmental regulation of shipping is getting stricter, there will be a lot of investments in mechanical sails. A primary motivation with this podcast is to answer the questions, why aren't we using the wind to move goods? And why have we forgotten about a free and renewable resource that surrounds us every day and everywhere? Getting to the bottom of this is our raison d'etre. So I'll pose it to you. Why don't we use the wind to ship goods around the world? That's a very good question. That's why I have seen this business also as a no-brainer from the starting point. In the old times, ships were only moved by the wind, so it's very logical that you can replace a big part of main engine power with mechanical sails. Can the addition of a mechanical sail extend the life of a vessel? I see it so that quite soon, the, the biggest factor which defines the second-hand value of the existing ship uh, will be the, the uh, emissions cost when that ship is used. So I actually expect that when mechanical sails are fitted on board existing ships, they help to maintain the asset value of the old ship, and, and they also uh, ensure that that existing ship can be used for as long time as possible. To clarify, you're saying that some vessels will reach their end life faster than expected because their owners are unwilling to comply with the IMO 2030 goals, and yet adding a sail is a way to extend the life of those ships by making them compliant. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct uh, understanding. Uh, IMO has implemented uh, a so-called EEXI regulation, which will require existing ships to become more energy efficient. So they have to comply with those EEXI requirements. And, and when I look at those requirements, I really see that there will be a lot more demand for mechanical sales because they can enable ships to comply with, with new regulation and to extend their lifetime. With the minimum investment, they will not need a new engine just to sail. They will comply and extend the life of the ship for years. That's correct. 
quite big investments will be needed for existing ships to make them compliant with, with new regulation. But when the alternative is to scrap the ship, it quite often makes sense to, to, to make that minimum investment to, to extend the lifespan of the ship. On a different subject, you're in Finland in Northern Europe and very close to the new routes in the Arctic Sea made possible by melting ice. As a local and as a business person, what's your take on these new routes? What are the pros and cons? It's natural that when the ice is melting in the Arctic, uh, new ocean routes like the uh, Northeast Passage will be opened. I understand that there are environmental concerns on those uh, sensitive natural areas. So I think it uh, as efficient and environmentally friendly ships as possible would be used on those routes. But on the other hand, when those routes are opened, I see that the uh, sea time and, and length of voyage between uh, Europe and, and, and Asia is, is shorter. So actually using those routes should decrease the voyage times and also the environmental impact of of shipping. So in a way, it's also a positive thing for the the world. Yes, it could be an opportunity. But with very clean vessels, what about smaller vessels and not huge container ships? What do you think? Well, it's it's not so easy to claim... uh, if a big container ship is is more polluting than a, than a small ship, I think you should always calculate that so that you 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 divide the emissions of the ship with the actual amount of cargo uh, transported. So in in quite many cases, even if those um, big container ships are highly highly pollutant, they might be more efficient than than smaller ships because of the large amount of cargo on board. Thomas, we've learned so much from you, and we'd like to give you an open floor here. Anything you'd like to add into the conversation? No, I don't think so. I, I think this was pretty impressive and pretty pretty uh, good coverage of, of technology and the state of shipping, so so thanks. We've been speaking with Thomas Risky, the CEO of Norse Power, based in Finland. He joined on the line from Helsinki. Again, Thomas, we truly enjoyed our conversation with you, and thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. It was a pleasant podcast, so have a nice day and and, and all the best to you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not already subscribed, please sign up to Hoisting the Sail wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit Windsupport NYC on LinkedIn. Write to us at podcast at windsupport.nyc.